I can tell you that every pivotal moment in my career has been defined by running towards a really hard problem and just investing everything I had to try to figure out the right solution for our customers, the right solution for our company, the right solution for our team. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Rosie Roca is the Chief Customer Officer at Hopin, one of the world's leading virtual events platforms, which was recently valued at over $2 billion. Rosie is a customer experience pro, having started her career with the New England Patriots before moving into software at Relate IQ, which was later acquired by Salesforce in 2014, where she then became SVP of Salesforce Essentials Customer Experience. Today, Rosie and I discuss pivotal moments in her career, virtual events, and the challenges facing rapidly scaling teams. First thing I got to ask you, because you just joined Hopin like four months ago, which is crazy. How's that been going? It's phenomenal. I think uh, when I was you know, going through the interview process and meeting everyone, I was really struck by the caliber of the talent. And it was one of the things that, you know, once you leave a conversation when you've met somebody for the first time, I kept thinking about some of the challenges that they were facing and some of the interesting hard problems they were trying to solve and the opportunity to work with some of the customers that were really at the forefront of virtual events and, and really defined that space. And so I have found that it's all true. It's incredibly motivating to see a company that has grown so quickly, but still held to their values and attracted incredible talent globally that really truly comes together in our office, otherwise known as Slack, but also across every other opportunity to collaborate and to partner in the benefit of our customers, in the benefit of our teammates. And so it's been, it's been really great. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have made the decision. I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've had prior to coming here that prepared me for that. I think one of the coolest things, obviously every company puts their best foot forward when they're trying to attract really good talent, you know, everything's sunshine, roses and, and that kind of stuff. And I think generally you go into a new company with some sense of, okay, there's no way there, this is actually going to be, uh, you know, a hundred percent what was presented before. But it's such a nice surprise that when it turns out to actually be a hundred percent, you know, this is who they are. Those were the, those were in fact the challenges and it's exactly what you'd hoped it'd be. A hundred percent. And you guys are like the fastest growing company in 2020, right? It's certainly one of them. And it's been, it's been a true team effort. I mean, if you look at where we started the year, um, we had, I think, somewhere along the lines of eight teammates, and we're now, you know, over 200. Um, insane. And it's been so driven by this idea that we can create an incredible company that is values-driven, that is, you know, team-focused and team-driven remotely in an environment like we've all been faced with in 2020. And uh, it's unreal. The, the level of talent has been really incredible to watch and to be, frankly, part of and supportive of um, as part of my job. Absolutely. Has anything surprised you since starting at Hopin? I think the visionary conversations that I have day in and day out, and I mean that not just within Hopin, um, you know, obviously surrounded by incredible talent that really thinks deeply about how do we make this experience even better. But when I talk to customers, so many of them are really excited by this new space and the things that they can do, how they can, again, think more globally about a lot of these amazing event brands that they've created over time, where they now have an opportunity to really extend it further. So that's been really exciting. And in many ways, 
because those conversations are already happening, our customers have been so central to a lot of the decisions that we've made on the product and a lot of the decisions that we've made even in building the company. So seeing that customer centricity really play out has been just absolutely the cherry on top. And, and I would say because, you know, in many ways, my charter at Hopin is to make every user really happy with every interaction that they have with our product, with our teams across every touch point. And to see that being a focus for so much of the company, but also to, to see that come from our customers themselves and how they're thinking about partnering with us um, has been really engaging and honestly incredibly motivating because it means that we're onto a, a really interesting problem that lots of people are really excited about. And we're leveraging our customers as our partners and really thinking about how, how to kind of push this space forward. Super cool. You get to innovate together. It's really awesome. It's rare you get to do that. That's a great way to summarize it. Thank you. It's very cool. <laughs> One of the things I love about the kind of CS customer success space, and I mean, I know you've got, you've had a kind of a varying background in different, but always in sort of a customer facing role and then leading the, the CS function, things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious now as CCO, like what is your kind of the personal style that you're bringing to Hopin? What is your personal kind of approach, the rosy approach to customer management? Well, I think for us, it's really, especially because of the stage at which we're at and how much, you know, how much interaction we're having with some of our customers. I would say that the biggest thing that's, that's flashing in my head is servant leadership. And I, and I mean that both in the service of the teams that I'm very lucky to be partnering with to create, you know, the customer experience and really reinvent that customer experience at Hopin, but also in service of our customers. And so, you know, one of the things that I have shared with the team is that our customers know more about our product than we will ever hope to accomplish. And that's because they're using it day in and day out for a number of different use cases every day. And our job is to support them in imagining and really producing incredible experiences for their communities and for their events. But they're also teaching us throughout that entire experience. So the type of brand and, and I think operating culture that I'd love to see as part of our entire company of Hopin is to continue to put that customer in the middle, continue to leverage everything that they're doing for us to learn even further and together with them, help advance some of the cool innovative things that we can also drive in the virtual events world as we go deeper and deeper into that. One of the key things that I've gotten to do over the last few weeks is to really go deeper into what do our customers think and try to drive a little bit more global understanding of how the customer experience actually plays out at Hopin. And the reception has been so powerful. <laughs> I've never seen engineers chant MPS. <laughs> that is a very rare thing. Right. I mean, to be totally fair, uh, they're chanting it in chat as we're using our own our own that platform. Counts. To For have now, our that's real. Hands. In 2020, that counts. But seeing, you know, and, and NPS is obviously only one of many metrics that we should be looking at to really understand the customer experience. But we do look at it quite frequently, and it's incredible to see our engineering team rallying with our customer success team around creating an incredible experience that we're constantly evaluating to make sure that we're learning over time. So. That's how I think we'll start. In my experience of working with customers for you know several years now, you don't go wrong if you can understand what they're looking for, if you can have an engaging discussion around what is the outcome that they're trying to drive. And if you drive either a service team or a product or all of them 
to really help them to execute that. At the end of the day, it's all about customer success and, you know, writ large. And um, that's the value that we can bring to our customers early on. Excellent. So you've been in kind of the B2B enterprise SaaS space for a while. You've been at amazing companies. You've been at Box. You were at Salesforce for a long time. Now you're at Hopin. So when you kind of reflect back on those big shifts and the growth, the incredible growth of your career, what moments stand out to you as sort of the most pivotal? Hmm. Uh, there's many. You know, it's interesting. A lot of my career has been around connecting with customers and really understanding what they do and kind of bring and what they think about the experiences, whether it's in a um, was that box where I was very, very lucky to have a very short internship as part of their customer marketing team and then more deeply going into it as part of Relate IQ and eventually Salesforce. I would say my Relate IQ career was one that I'm forever going to be grateful for. You know, I joined right after business school and was given an opportunity to really think about customer success as the first CSM manager there. And that meant actually onboarding the first 50 customers myself oh, and wow. supporting in many ways the sales team as we were closing our first few customers. And I, you know, I have very stark and amazing memories of my first month there. I'm sure. Um, if I, you know, there was a Friday where we were closing out a month and I think everyone on the company was on the phone trying to call our customers to make sure that they, they had everything that they needed. And it was one of those frenzied moments in startup land where people are dialing phone numbers and just hanging, you know, basically hanging you a phone to make sure that you're the person that's talking. And it was just so magical. And we were able to really understand the power of the tool and kind of going through those conversations. And I, you know, the other magical moments are probably a little bit less exciting. Like I remember being able to figure out how to import an entire spreadsheet of deals <laughs> for a customer. And then, you know, it's, and it's one of these things where like, that's a blocker where you're using CRM. So how do we get you to unblock that? Yeah. And that moment of being able to get to the aha of just, not just on the product value, but of how that customer can use it is incredible. So yeah, I think as a result of that, I don't have a big, big highlights. I have lots of little highlights of being able to connect with our users again, to help them unblock themselves, to get them see the value, to get them you know, in, in many ways to be able to take a seat as they're continuing to grow their companies and achieving success that even they didn't imagine. And I think that's what you get out of being in a career that's customer facing, customer success is that you get to be a, a trusted advisor in the good times and in the bad, but um, be able to celebrate with them all the learnings and all the, you know, the big ones. It's really cool having a career. I mean, it's stressful, but it's also cool having a career that's built around other people's success and helping other people achieve their success and seeing your success through theirs. So I think it's completely befitting a customer obsessed person that you're the pivotal moments that your mind jumps right to are, you know, your customers figuring things out, your customers growing, your customers doing well. Going a little deeper into your career, curious what advice you would give to managers who are maybe earlier on than you or, or want to get to kind of where you are doing the things that you're doing today and are thinking about how they can possibly elevate their brand, their career, their get their next promotion. You know, I think in many ways, my journey has been a very lucky one. I have been able to grow largely because of the opportunities that my managers and, and my mentors were able to present me with. But I'll say two things that have been really critical run, don't walk, run towards hard problems. There's hard problems in every business. And in fact, you're probably going to uncover them in every aspect of every business. And it's often not the first thing that's prioritized because it's difficult to figure out how many resources do you need? How much time are you going to be able to solve it with? 
And I can tell you that every pivotal moment in my career has been defined by running towards a really hard problem and just investing everything I had to try to figure out the right solution for our customers, the right solution for our company, the right solution for our team. And that's really what's marked the big inflection points for me. The second thing I'll say is when you do that, once you get to that finish line of the hard problem that you want to solve, there's two ways that you can really tackle it. And I learned this from a leader at Salesforce who I was very lucky to call my manager and mentor for a long time. And he used to say that there's always a shiny and bright in a problem, even if it's super scary. And your job as a leader is to find the shiny and bright and to motivate the team to execute on that and to find the big win that is always hidden in the opportunity. I think those are the two key things. I mean, I, I would always recommend to everyone to build great connections with the people around you. We spend so much of our time at work and inherently that means that you should choose the environment that you want to work in and the people that you want to work with very intentionally. And I'll say that for me, that's meant I've chosen all the managers that I've wanted to work, go work for and only chosen my jobs based on that largely. And it's never failed me because I knew what I wanted to go learn from them. I knew what the opportunity was for me to interact directly with them. And it's been an incredible way for me to really accelerate my learning with people that I wanted to emulate and who I still am very, you know, very much model in my day to day. So very much standing on the shoulders of giants. But then more importantly, like the people around you that help you to execute on things are your peers. They're the ones that are going to be providing feedback. They're the ones that are going to remember that you were always attentive and collaborative and signal you for opportunities or hard problems that you might be able to solve in the future. And so being a good teammate and having great integrity and great follow-up and caring for those folks that you're working with is going to be really important in the long term. And as a manager, sometimes you get to build that team. So think about that as you're kind of recruiting and creating a great team culture. How do you drive that? How do you motivate that as you're finding the shiny and bright and the big problems? I love those. Those were all fantastic pieces of advice. And I want to, I want to dive deeper into each of them. The, the something you mentioned a few times just over the course of our conversation is luck. I can appreciate the, you know, that there's an element of serendipity to maybe some things happening, but I also, mm -hmm. something I've been thinking about a lot lately is just, you know, how to become a luckier person. Yeah. I think there's a whole practice to that. Totally. And there's the old phrase like where luck meets, where hard work meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, uh, you know, it speaks to, just kind of always putting in the hard work, running. And if you run, if you kind of flip what you were saying, if you, if you, if you choose to run towards the hard problems, if you look for the shiny and bright, if you support your teammates and your customers, you will become luckier in your life yeah. and in your job opportunities. So I think that really all ties together really well. I'll add one more element, which is why I say that it's, it's really lucky. And it's funny to think back at it now and kind of connect some of these thoughts by virtue of where, you know, happen and, and the incredible company that I'm part of. But I have found every key opportunity in my career at an event. Oh, really? Yeah, so You're not just saying that. I, I, you know, it's, <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, somebody forced me, you know, asked me this question a few weeks ago and forced me to really think about it. But when I was in college, I really thought that I was going to be an international lawyer. Much longer story there, but realized quickly that it, it might actually say not quickly realized in my senior year that that was not going to be the option that would make me the happiest. And so I almost graduated without a job. And honestly, in the last few months of my collegiate career, spent 
a lot of my time going to events and conferences to try to learn more about what were the industries that were out there, what were the, some of the folks who were part of those industries, and, and try to identify or find a way to identify with some of them so that I knew what direction to take. Right. And, you know, it was a very scary moment at the time because, you know, I kind of threw away a life plan that even my grandfather had given me when I was very young. And I remember being at a sports and entertainment conference, small conference at Harvard University, which is where I went to school. And I saw this woman uh, who was just a ray of sunshine with excitement and energy speak on stage. And she happened to be a director of operations at at the time at the New England Patriots. And we just happened to sit next to each other, or maybe, I don't remember if I stalked her or not, but we happened to sit next to each other um, (laughs) at lunch. And we struck up a conversation and we kind of both understood that we were really enjoying the connection and kind of we were able to keep up with each other's energy And she asked me to interview for a job and I worked for her for the next four years. And there's a much funnier story behind how the interview went and all this other stuff. But I was going to say, but around how you switched the place cards so that you could sit next to her at the lunch. We won't, we won't remember (laughs) that. I think they were open tables. I don't remember. But the point was, if I hadn't gone to that event, if I hadn't put myself out there, if I hadn't tried to find an opportunity to really go meet and learn from other people, that would have never happened. Mm-hmm. I would have never been able to be part of such an incredible company to start my career with and to really understand the power of community. Talk about, you know, in sports, it's all about community. It's all about the fans and yeah. how do you keep them engaged? And that is incredible learning to start a career in customer success. So that was the first instance. Fast forward to business school and, you know, after doing a lot of exploration, I also found myself not really having a direction towards the end of my second year on where I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to be customer facing and I really enjoyed talking to customers, but I hadn't done sales. And so that was like the most clear thing that I could think of. And I didn't come from a consulting background. So I knew that I wanted to be an operator. You know, like it's not like I could go back to consulting. I wanted to be an operator. And one of our professors said something that stuck with me. And he, one of the things that he said in our last lecture was, you should go and learn how to sell anything because it's going to be a skill that will follow you for the rest of your career. And you're going to need it, whether you're a founder or a manager of people or actually in sales or in a customer facing role, because you're constantly having to position your ideas, yourself, your team, mm-hmm. how you want to motivate, how you, you know, it, it's, there's, it's absolutely words of wisdom that I've always followed and kind of took that idea, walked around with it and happened to go to a linked, uh, to a lean event, excuse me, in the community over in the Bay area and got introduced to a woman who asked me the quintessential question of what are you going to do after business school? And I said, oh, I don't know, something in sales. I think that's going to be the thing. And I remember having a conversation with her. She's like, great, you should meet the CEO of our company. We're just starting to think about CRM. And that happened to be the CEO of Relate IQ. And that's, you know, worked basically with that product for the next better part of a decade. And that led me to Salesforce where I had numerous other opportunities to meet incredible people and learn from them. But both of those were pivotal moments in my career. And they wouldn't have happened unless I had gone to an event and really tried to at least meet one person there. Mm -hmm. So 
it's almost a, a struck of luck that I happen to be at Hopin, where we are actively thinking about that and creating that environment for global communities that wouldn't have an opportunity to go to some events and meet some of those folks, but can now engage in a, in a truly virtual platform. And so I think about that all the time because that's really like, I'm, I'm hoping to pay it forward, right? For so many folks mm-hmm. in the world that, that can do incredible things and just haven't connected with the right person to put them in the right position to go do that. Yeah. You're in a position where you could facilitate that for thousands and thousands of people That's the regularly, job and the goal. which is amazing. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm here for it. You know, I, I feel like there's some underlying force there that, that that's then brought you. If that's an over an underlying theme throughout your career, you know, I don't think it's coincidental that you've gotten to hop in at this point. Again, I think it's lucky you went to those events, but you were also very intentional knowing that you had to to put yourself out there. Are you naturally extroverted, gregarious, or are you more on the uh, introverted side? I would say both of my friends and my family will tell you that I'm an extrovert. I will say over the last few years of really being truly engaging with customers most of my day, one of the transformations that's happened for me personally is I think I've become a lot more introverted. I don't know why I'm stumbling through this. And partially it's because you're so, you know, I think the, the role with a customer facing team is that you're on all the time and you're having conversations where you're learning a ton. Some of those learnings are sometimes for prices and there's a ton of investment and energy that has to go into making those every conversation, every touch point that you have incredibly rich for that customer. That's ultimately what we're here to do. That takes a lot of time and focus and energy. And I found that more recently, I definitely do need the one or two hours of going by myself somewhere, yeah. <laughs> uh, finding a corner <laughs> a quiet in a room time. and just having quiet time and not being the one that speaks, but rather being mm-hmm. potentially being the one that's spoken to, whether it's listening to a good podcast or drawing, uh, which I don't draw well. I literally color. I should say I color. I mean, those therapeutic coloring books for adults have skyrocketed. Some of them are really complex and I don't have the right pens for them, but they're great. <laughs> what I'm trying to create is a moment of pause in the madness, right? And and all the things that you're thinking about constantly to make sure your customers are successful. And those are typically the moments where I find the most clarity on how are we pushing our vision? How are we doing against our OKRs? What are the things that we need to change? So I've definitely been more mindful of creating these opportunities for myself, despite the fact that I'm absolutely extroverted and love interacting with people and so grateful that I get to do that in my day-to-day job. I can definitely identify with that. I think when you do something all day, it's like the last thing you want to do is is then go talk to more people. But that's why I think, you know, whether I know people, I have friends that are introverted and extroverted and regardless of kind of what your inclinations are, I think putting yourself out there now, it's probably a bit easier doing it virtually. But, you know, before showing up at those in-person events was, you know, not fun a lot of the time because it was after work. You want to go home. You're tired. You don't want to talk to more people, but that's and where you're thinking about your job in the back of your head every time. Yeah. Right? So yeah, you've got that totally too, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and other priorities, but it is so important. You mentioned, you know, taking that time away to, to just kind of be quiet, a little more pensive, take that pause. I think that's something that personally, I don't do enough. I want to do more of is just sort of reflection. I've tried journaling. I talked about this with a previous podcast guest. We were talking about habit building Mm. and I've tried journaling probably three separate times in the last two years. And I'll always write one journal entry and then never pick up the book again. Mm. I'm not sure why. It's just something I can, I can build any other habit except for that one. But I'm curious what, if, if that's something you've done or kind of what you, what other habits you have that might be, that are more on sort of that meditative or, or uh, reflection side of things. I would say I'm equally not as good um, to keep a journal. And I've tried several times. And I think that there's 
tons of value, even in writing one or two sentences about your day so that you remember those learnings or those moments, that emotion to carry you forward. I can say the most affected I've ever been is I, I picked up, I think it was from Brené Brown, but I picked up this habit of writing down on any sheet of paper, what was the thing that you were most grateful for, for that day? I think she talks, I believe she talks about this in one of her books, or I picked it up from someone that maybe gave me this great idea. And I kept a jar, basically, of all these mm-hmm. moments that were happening on a day-to-day basis. And I forced myself to do it for about two years. And I can absolutely tell you, oh, wow. it was an incredible exercise to realize the power of relationships that you have in your life. So many of the highlights, and, and maybe this is further proof that I'm an extrovert, but so many of the highlights that I then reread kind of at the end of those years, or even as I was moving, trying to figure out how much of this stuff should I take with me was going through and, and understanding the, the incredible influence and power that certain people had in my, in my life over that time. And I've lost the habit now because I think to, you know, with transitions and new roles and, and really readjusting mm-hmm. to being part of Hopin as much as I can be throughout my day. I haven't taken enough time to pause about it, but sometimes I think about it and I do keep a tiny book that's like my happiness book. So I don't do it every day anymore, but I try to not go more than two weeks before I record a moment, which is really interesting. And it's as simple as just, what are you grateful for? What are, you know, I would say the, o- the only other thing that I'll mention on this is my boyfriend recently got me this book, which I can show you because you can see me, but it's called the making of Prince of Persia journals, 1985 through 1993, 1993, excuse me, by Jordan Mechner. Um, I hope I said his name correctly. This is actually a book that is a hundred percent small journal entries throughout his career of making this game. And it starts from when he was still at school and determining what he wanted to do next. And it goes into those thoughts that we always have about, you know, whether it's your gremlins of, can I do this job? Am I doing this right? Or the moments of happiness of connecting with people. And I've been so enthralled by the book that I'm almost convinced that I should be doing it too, but I haven't quite figured out if I want to, you know, type it in my notes or, or handwrite it. Um, But it's been incredibly powerful to just see like a full journey, really, at the end of the day. And um, the thing that strikes me is that he doesn't do it every day. He he does it, you know, at some points throughout the week. So oftentimes there's breaks, but you can kind of see the human experience and and what it means to create something like this game. And what he's capturing is actually the human experience and being part of an early stage startup or being, you know, someone who's incredibly motivated by a number of different things and making, making an intentional selection of where you want to go deeper on. And that happens in small bits every day, which is why I think it's incredible if we, if we can develop that practice, but selfishly and, and absolutely honestly have not quite gotten there, but I, I, I am motivated and I certainly think that it's an aspirational goal of mine to be able to produce something like this. Maybe not to publish it, but certainly to have it so I can look back and learn from it. Just to have it for when you're 80 and want to look back on what you were thinking. Exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think it's so cool. I, I Matthew McConaughey does the same thing. And that's actually, I believe that his new book, because I listened to him on Joe Rogan a few weeks back, and he... I was saying he did the same thing, like from when he was young, kept a journal, random notes, different days, but he had like this massive collection. So now I guess he's in his fifties or something. Mm -hmm. He had like all these stories and knew exactly how he was thinking and feeling when he was 19 and was able to, to draw on that. And I think that's such a cool thing to have, whether you put it out in the world or not. And more, it's just therapeutic, like the, the practice of, of writing. Like I, the two good sides when I used to travel a lot for work were the amount of 
food I got to eat at different restaurants and different cuisines from different places. Absolutely. And then on the plane rides, there'd be the 15 minutes from when they start the descent, you have to put your laptop away to like when you land. Mm -hmm. And that would always be my journaling time. Every plane ride, I'd always just write for those 15 minutes straight and I'd always have great ideas. But now I'm not flying anywhere. No one's no one's taking away my internet. No one's taking away my laptop. So I need to find some moments like that because I feel like I'm missing out on some some creative ideas by my not making that space. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. It's interesting. I think I used to listen to a lot more podcasts when I was commuting to the office. Yeah. And now that that's not going to be something that I'm going to be doing, you know, I'm taking a card from a number of leaders that have talked about how they've created new habits to really create that space to both decompress but also to come up with new ideas, just like you're saying. And I'm still in the experimental phase. But what we can do, Ben, is keep each other accountable to see if we can create the habit. Excellent. We'll revisit every every podcast once a month. We'll, uh, we'll check in. Yes. Cool. Well, there's so much exciting stuff. It's been shocking to see how fast Hopin is growing. There's been a lot of emphasis. Obviously, a lot of companies have been struggling through COVID. Like we were talking about earlier, Hopin's been one of the fastest growing companies. And it was amazing to hear you right off the bat talking about how the company's done such a good job of scaling with keeping its values intact and being able to hire so many people that are core to those values. So I would say, aside from hiring, Curious to know what, what one or two of the challenges Hopin has been facing as sort of that opposite side of COVID, where it's been massive growth, lots of positive stuff. Besides hiring, what would you say kind of the biggest challenges are? I would say that the top one is, which I'm sure every company that has gone through this, something like this, has been a challenge. It's around communication. One of the aspects of hypergrowth that's really critical is to make sure that everyone, you know, we're very much aligned on values, but are we aligned on all the things that we are doing and the decisions that we are making? And I think we've done a pretty good job of keeping everyone aligned. I mean, we have weekly all hands where Johnny is a speaker every week and kind of shares his thoughts, gives updates to the company. We have multiple teams that go up and give updates. We have uh, weekly meetings with all of our leaders who provide an update across all of their org structures. But those are all intentional choices to make sure that the full team, the full company is really aligned on what's going on. What are, you know, what are the things that happened this week and what are the challenges that we're all getting geared up and excited to tackle next. Um, and I think that's that's something that will continue to happen, right? As we as we move incredibly fast, all of us are motivated to execute as quickly as we can on behalf of our customers and on behalf of our teammates. And sometimes, no matter how good we are, some things get lost in translation and communication. And so it's, it's our job, I think, as the executive team and as the leaders of the company, and really, at the end of the day, across everyone in our company, to take a pause and to share why we're doing the things that we're doing. What are the decisions that we have recently made so that everyone's on the same page? Excellent. Yes. I'm excited to continue to double down on that, but it's it's something that we are very actively talking about regularly because it's as a fully distributed company that is truly global um, is, is something that will be the hallmark of our culture for many years to come. So we have to become experts at it. And so we're, we're working hard. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's I think a universal problem. So when you figure it out, we'll uh, we'll revisit that. I'm learning that from one. everyone. This is why I talk to all the customers. How do you do this today? But seriously, I mean, I think I think you're totally exactly. right. So many of us are facing the same way, and I think we all have our unique cultures and the way in which we communicate, top to bottom and bottoms up. Uh, and so finding what works for you and for your team to make sure that everyone feels a that they belong and that they know what's going on, but more importantly that they're not surprised 
about the direction and the strategies that we're that we're taking on is really critical. And so it's it's something that for sure is is a big investment for us and a and a big from an executive leadership perspective, something that we're constantly paying attention to. Excellent. Rosie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Great to see you, Ben. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you. <laughs>